Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio, who is a nationally known gerontologist, executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, and serves on the board of the National Council on Aging, where she is the past chair of that board. And it's great to see you. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. We have an interesting guest coming up. Christy Denton Cohn, a filmmaker, documentary filmmaker, has put together a bunch of short films, Staying Put and Moving On for Seniors. Well, I think that it's it's fascinating when people who, you know, make films or do other types of work get interested in issues around aging and caregiving and the the whole concept and the decision making of uh, can you stay where can you age in place can you stay where you are do you need to go someplace else you know what are the variables that impact that and if you decide to leave you know how do you make that decision the best decision um, that's something that all of us deal with and and what a wonderful way to kind of learn from other people's experiences and having these short films it's perfect now before we get to our guest I want to ask you, and, and this is one of those questions that I think occurs to absolutely everybody, and the longer we live, the more people around us who pass away, what not to say to the grief-ridden? Uh, you know, that this article really caught my eye in Next Avenue about, you know, don't ask the bereaved what you can do, just do something. Maybe it's because there's been funerals that I've been to, you know, in the last couple of years more than I would have liked. And that's always kind of that, you you know, I know I always feel like, ugh, I'd, I want to do something, but I'm not sure. And a lot of us do ask, you know, what can I do to help? What do you need? Uh, and I think that uh, the author of the article, Jill Smolo, does a wonderful job talking about just do something. Uh, she gives a story of uh, going to a person's house at the end of the funeral where all the food is, and the widow is looking at all the dirt that's been tracked in on right. the floor uh, with all of these people coming in and out of the house. And so when she goes out of the room, the you know they decide to sweep up this dirt. Somebody grabs a dustpan and a broom, and they clean up the dirt and kind of sweep the floor. Uh, and so I think the moral of the story is, you know, not always bringing a casserole. I think that's great. I think what I remember when my mother passed away was a neighbor who brought just snack food. You know, it was like stuff that you maybe you shouldn't be eating, but it was the kind of really easy kind of munchy stuff that felt good because right. it was crunchy or it was sweet or it was it was just snack food, and and that was went first uh, as the people came through the house. Uh, but really, kind of queuing off of the person watching what it is that they need, and then just doing it. I'm going to the store. What would you like me to pick up for you? Uh, to let them know or looking in the fridge oh they don't have any you know whatever and bringing a couple of like again a neighbor brought milk and juice and soft drinks so whatever it is you right. want like you're going to like one of these most likely and you're going to need one um so I, I thought that was really helpful and i i would um you know i'm going to take that with me 
as I go forward because uh, so that I will know just, you know, when you see something, do it. And when you say to somebody, what would you like me to do, they don't have an answer to that most of the time. Well, they don't, and and there's so much to do, and it can be so overwhelming. Obviously, you don't want to overstep your bounds. Um, You know, you don't want to – I think you have to look and and cue off of the person to make sure that what you're doing is okay if you're doing something to their house. Um, I'm never going to complain. If anybody wants to come to my house and sweep up, hey, that's great. In fact, make the beds, clean <laughs> make the, the sheets. The whatever. Yeah, whatever. Exactly. It's all good. Whatever all you want to do. Just don't spray air freshener is the only thing oh. I ask. Somebody was helpful once in my home and sprayed some really heavy floral oh. air freshener that took weeks, oh, wow. weeks to get out. That was not helpful. Now, here's something that segues with grief. End-of-life plans. And we have often talked with some of our guests about that challenge. Many seniors simply don't want to talk about it. Well, and I think the point of this story also from Next Avenue was talking about sort of the the unrealistic expectations. So, you know, we hear people say, I'm never going to the nursing home. Uh, and there are folks that they will fill out uh, a living will, which simply says, you know, a couple of things like, I don't want this, I don't want that. But in very complicated situations, you need a power of attorney the living will is not going to um, override a physician who feels very strongly about a particular treatment or the best thing. Um, right. And so having somebody who knows your wishes is much more powerful with a legal document to make your decisions if somebody's incapacitated. And so the the article, when end-of-life plans are just hopes, you know, the in this particular case, they were hoping they were going to die in their sleep of a heart attack. I know my aunt always expected to die, you know, uh, in, her, in her sleep, and she was very angry that that did not happen, and she ended up with dementia. Uh, and in this article, the person ends up with cancer, and it was a wow. long, slow, not immediate death. And the instruments they had put in place were just not enough. And so I think the point is to... Plan, you know, you can you can hope for the best, plan but, for the but, worst. but plan for the worst, and and you really getting your affairs in order and and being realistic about what's going on, uh, because you hoping and dreaming and and being unrealistic is not going to help in really tough situations. And when in doubt, talk to a lawyer who specializes in aging and planning. And I think that's great advice because that's a nice way to have somebody else guide you through some of those decisions and those documents, so that. You don't have to be uncomfortable. Um, it's You're dealing with a professional. So She's Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on Air on 930 AM, The Answer. And coming up in just a couple of moments, we talk to Christy Denton-Cohen. Her program, Staying Put or Moving On, a series of short films and resources for seniors. Next up, and we talk about this with Dr. Jamie Heisman at the end of this show, Helicopter Parents and helicopter kids. That's right. So you have to, at the end of the show, what is a helicopter child? And we'll cover that coming up in just a couple of moments on Take 10. Next up, Dr. Jamie actually does these programs for physicians around the country. Compassion fatigue, which affects everybody. Well, I know I've I've done this list before, but I always think it, it... is worth repeating because so many people do suffer from compassion fatigue. Um, and that's really where a caregiver, it, you know, it, caregiving can be selfless, but it's also very emotional. 
Um, it can bring up a lot of um, other memories and, and, as Jamie always tells us, other traumas in our life. And so how do we know when we're a caregiver that we're suffering from passion, compassion fatigue? And so the signs of that are isolation from others, you know, when you don't want to be around anybody, uh, substance abuse to to mask feelings. So Often alcohol. Yeah, so if we're drinking too much mm, or compulsive behaviors, overspending, overeating, gambling, those are all those compulsive behaviors. Um, impatience and irritability all the time. Um, I know that sometimes I can slip into that kind of a groove where I'm just mad at everything all of the time. And, and that's really from the stress at work. But stress at caregiving will do absolutely the same way. Um, poor self-care. Oh, you know, we talk about in our stress-busting program that we can see physically see the difference between a stressed-out caregiver, one who's burnt out, and one who four weeks later after doing our stress-busting program, their hair is combed and their clothes, you know, they got dressed this morning. So when you see somebody with really poor self-care, they don't care. Uh, that can be a sign. Um, if somebody's having reoccurring nightmares and flashbacks, uh, if there's apathy, if you really don't feel anything anymore, that's not a healthy sign. Um, we are, are human beings, and if we don't find activities pleasurable, if we're always sad, if we don't feel anything about what's going on around us, that's a dangerous. And then the last one is difficulty concentrating. So that list probably to some of our listeners is sounding pretty familiar. And difficulty concentrating can be hazardous to the person you're caring for. Well, it can be because then that's when you mix up the medications. You forget the medications. You're not paying attention. Uh, you're rushing somebody, uh, which can be a recipe for a fall or a bad day if you're dealing with someone with Alzheimer's. Come on, Mom, we got to get to the doctor. Let's go. Step it up. And I think that was the hardest thing for me when my mother had Alzheimer's was slowing down at her speed um, because I felt like we needed to be on this really tight schedule when I need to back up the schedule, you know, right. and kind of, and that's adjusting yourself to where the person is, whether they have dementia or they have cancer, you know, whatever it is that you're dealing with, kind of, you have to meet that person where they are. And if you're overdoing and you have any of these symptoms of compassion fatigue, that that's when you really do need to take a break. Um, I've had somebody say, well, you know, this, all this self-care and taking care of yourself, you know, there's just no time for that. Um, but that's, if you're feeling that way, that's kind of a, a, a danger flag in and of itself. Do people with compassion fatigue know they have it? Well, I, I, I don't think they know they have compassion fatigue, but I think if you were to hold up a mirror, you know, I noticed that you're angry all the time. Um, you don't seem to enjoy anything anymore. If you reflect back what you're seeing you know, then you can help kind of help them to see that they're burning out um, and this caregiving journey is getting a little too tough. That's a pretty good example. Mad all the time, snapping, angry. Angry or just really not not really caring. Wow. All right, we're going to jump ahead, and and this one is going to make people sit up and listen. Rating President Trump's first year for older folks. Well, I, you know, I think that 
this topic um, is probably too long for the short amount of time that we have in this particular show. So would you mind if I told you instead about a really quick study about exercise? No, I'm cool with that. So somebody stay tuned next week and we'll talk about President Trump's ratings. And older people. And older people. I like that. So what we'll talk about now is if you exercises, and this is in 10 seconds or less, do if you if a young person exercises and an old person exercises, do they have the same results? Yes. Very good. The answer is yes. So all of us can benefit from exercise, and it only takes about that cool. long because we know that you don't have to exercise a long time. Just do a little. Yeah, we're getting down to four seconds. If you do a great four seconds, <laughs> four you seconds got of it. exercise, you got you're it fit. Not. You're fit. Carol Zonio, thank you. I'm Ron Aaron, caregiver SOS on air on nine thirty a.m. The answer up next. We talk with Christy Denton Cohen. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Well, we are so pleased that you have stuck with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. You hear us at 9.30 a.m. The answer, and we are delighted, as we have been promising, to welcome Christy Denton Cohn to our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline. She is the founder and creative force behind Staying Put or Moving On, and she has a series of films aimed at those who are trying to figure out what we're going to do as we grow a little bit older. And Christy, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. You mentioned something uh, as we were chatting briefly uh, off the air that uh, just rings and resonates with so many other folks, uh, that there's so many people who early on until they get into their later years never worried about money, never worried about, well, I may not have kids, but big deal. And then they reach a point where who's going to take care of me? Who's going to help me? What am I going to do? Right. I find that a lot with, I've done a lot of films with adventurers, I know a lot of artists and people in the film industry, and, you know, creativity has been the primary goal. A lot of women from my generation, and I'm 66, approaching 67 soon, uh, didn't get married, they didn't have children in my case, I couldn't have children, although I do have two beautiful stepdaughters, and you just wonder who's going to take care of those people. Uh, and I, I feel like we're a pretty darn creative generation, and so I think we're going to be looking at it differently than perhaps generations past, and we're going to come up with some pretty neat ideas as we go forward. And so you put what is your talent and experience and knowledge to work, staying put or moving on a series of short films and links to resources exploring where and how folks will live as they grow older. That's correct, and I, I think that I originally thought of doing a longer-form documentary, uh, you know, like a 
feature 60-minute, 90-minute documentary, but there are so many different ideas, so many different topics that we felt that if we did the short films, they'd be more accessible and we could cover more ground, so to speak. Well, and that's why we're doing the short films. And, you know, right now everything's pretty self-funded, but as as we grow, and I'm sort of in, in the if we build it, they will come mode, um, I would like to include other filmmakers, other artists, other photographers, writers in, in this whole process so we can learn from each other. Well, so you've created um, a website at stayingputtermovingon.org, correct? Yes. Yeah, the, the simpler website is stay or org. Stay or org. that's right. And it's got, I mean, it's very um, friendly looking. It's very easy uh, to pull up and, and watch these featurettes about either staying put or moving on or just, you know, what is it, how is it, you know, you can stay independent um, and live uh, as much as you can and talk about technology. So that's just glancing at the website um, here at the first of the show. But tell us about tell us about what you hope happens when someone engages with the website. You know, of course we hope they'll share it with their friends, but we want them to learn something. We want them to be inspired, um, to come up with new ideas that they can come back and tell us about. We do have a Facebook page um, that I sometimes think, should we really do Facebook because of all the ethical issues around Facebook? But it's just a great resource for sharing those ideas. And I really, the whole purpose of this is let's learn from each other and see what other people are doing, what other cultures are doing, um, and what works and what doesn't. What kind of feedback are you getting from folks who visit your Facebook page or your website? You know, it's been really interesting. Um, some people love it. Every once in a while, I'll I'll get a you know a note saying, "Wow, this really helped me," which kind of reminds me when I, I produced a documentary about the history of climbing in Yosemite called Vertical Frontier. And I got a, a fan mail back from a climber who said, now my wife understands me. And that's kind of what we hope happens is that, oh, now my family understands me um, or my friends or whatever. I, I'm finding when you ask about the response, even for folks that are older in, into their 70s or 80s, there are a lot of what I call INRYS, I-N-R-Y-S, which is I'm not ready yet. And a lot of people just still don't want to deal with these issues. But one woman I interviewed um, a couple of years ago when I first started doing this said that you have to make the decisions for yourself before someone else makes them for you. And I think that is just very wise advice. Well, denial is not a river in Egypt. (laughs) I've heard, I've heard. (laughs) And, And as you take a look at uh, well, the situation that you were in when, when the light went on and you started looking ahead, you told us off the air you're 66, almost 67. That's young in this day and age. <laughs> when I was a kid, you know, when I was a kid, someone who was 60 was one foot in the grave. And now yeah. you've got at least 30, 40, 50 years more you can live. Right. Right. And then there's a lot of things you need to do um, in order to, to live successfully. And I, Again, you guys are covering very important topic about caregiving. Um, and we recently had a, an email from a, a dear friend that my husband went to school with whose wife has a very unusual form of dementia. And his experience going through the caregiving, of course, is very, very, very stressful. 
caregiving is expensive. Unfortunately, they're capable of paying for it, but so many people aren't. But he was talking about how he was dealing with being a caregiver. And I think that's just as important as finding out who to be your caregiver is. How do you take care of the family caregivers? So those are just all there are just so many different issues that I, I like what you guys are doing because you're touching on some of them and we're touching on some more. And through all of us, we can figure out the best way forward, I hope. I mean, there's no easy answer, but I hope we can well, at what, least help. What are some of the surprises along the way that, you know, I'm sure with me, every documentary, you know, it, it's not only a learning process for those of us who are looking at the documentary, but you, you know, putting things together. You know, what's been a surprise for you on this particular topic? You know, surprises, there, there have been a few twists. Um, one story about uh, multi-generational living and, and uh, full disclosure, the family that we're seeing in that particular piece um, is my stepdaughter and her family. And her father-in-law had been taking care of his wife who had a terrible Parkinson's for a very, very, very long time. And he, they went through all their money. And so my stepdaughter and her husband were needing to get a bigger house. And where I live in Marin County, it, it's very, very expensive. And so it worked out for both sides to come to a, a way to sell the kids the, the house uh, for the husband or for the father to sell the kids the house and then he built an additional dwelling unit so he could live there after his wife died um, and the twist there was after all those years um, his wife did die and and then he fell in love sometime later and is not even living in the ADU which is sort of ironic but and then the other one is a recent one. I was just up in Oregon um, interviewing a woman. It's actually our most recent story up, and it's, she was moving closer to be with her kids. And so she moved up there, and last uh, October I was able to fo- go up and follow up with her to see how it was working out, you know, what's, what's going on, how, how has this move worked out. And she's had, <clears throat> excuse me, some health issues, and uh her family, uh, and she decided it would be better for her to be living in assisted living. She's no longer driving, which most people who have to give up the car keys are a little bit resentful about. But what her son pointed out was that making the decision to put her in this assisted living beautiful place in Bend, Oregon, early was better because she could become more adjusted to living in that environment. And therefore, as her disease progressed, she would be more comfortable with where she was instead of having a shock to her system later on when she really didn't understand where that's she a, was. That's a good point. Stay with me just a minute. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zerniel, and we're talking with Christy Denton-Cohen, who is uh, the organizer and producer of Staying Put or Moving On. Well, and I think you made such an important point about these decisions to you know, for someone to go into an assisted living or go live with relatives or change something, making some of those changes sooner 
rather than waiting until, A, it's a crisis, or B, um, in the case of the assisted living, there there are studies that support the notion that going in earlier is better. And I know in my own family, I've had discussions with my adult children that I will check myself into a facility, a memory care unit, you know, if I came down with Alzheimer's, because I don't want them to anguish over that kind of a decision. And for me, I'm fine with that. Yes, that's a good point, Carol, and, and, and you're smart to be, be addressing those issues now because it's, you know, it's uncomfortable for a lot of families to talk about these things. And, again, going back to the Inries, I don't, I'm not ready yet. This isn't going to happen to me, you know. I'm, I'm from the invincible generation, and that's just not the case. Well, invincible is, uh, you know, what a lot of folks believe from uh, teenagers on up. Right. <laughs> that's true. And then that's what true. happens when reality hits? Well, I think that's what we're all exploring. I think everybody's reality is going to be a little bit different. Every situation is going to have its own nuances. Um, and every solution is, is one, one person's going to find a, a solution that won't work for someone else. Um, I think one of the things that concerns me the most and that I'm kind of tickling around the idea of doing a longer form documentary on is poverty uh, for older adults. And it, and how quickly homelessness can come on through maybe medical costs or a, just a change in situation. Um, a lot of people here, I think in California, we were gravely hit by the um, fires, and especially in Paradise where so many people had gone to retire and they were older and, and they died. Um, so there's just, you have to really look at all these different situations and and figure out okay what are we going to do um which is why one of under my insights and ideas section that's kind of the catch-all because sometimes you just see a story that oh gosh i have to i have to share this one even though it's not directly related to staying put or moving on sure and one of them is is you know safety um i live up on a mountain outside of san francisco and what are we going to do how are we going to get down the mountain if there's a fire here and so we interviewed the fire chief, and they gave us advice, you know, be prepared. Leave before you have to be evacuated. Now, hold that thought. We come right back to you. We're talking about a really, really important topic, staying put or moving on, a series of short films that is a resource for seniors and others. Talking with Christy Denton Cohn on our Caregiver SOS On Air Hotline. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. So as you grow older, what is it you think you want to do? And how do you make those plans? Maybe it's a retirement home somewhere. Maybe it's moving in with a son, a daughter, an aunt, an uncle. Maybe it's hanging out at your own place, growing old in place. Well, we're talking about these kinds of issues with Christy Denton Cohen. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel on Caregiver SOS on Air at 930 AM, The Answer. Well, and, and right before we went to the break, Christy, you were talking about um, poverty and homelessness. Uh, and what we know in our work with the Wellmed Charitable Foundation and with older persons is that homelessness is on the rise for older people. And particularly the the poverty among older women, 80 and over the oldest old, uh, is you're at greatest risk of poverty when you're 80, which is absolutely the wrong time to fall into homelessness and poverty. Yes, that's correct. 
I, I think a story that kind of inspired me um, that we did with the Strawberry Creek Lodge, I'm trying to pull it up right now, um, was with a woman who was in her 80s living in Berkeley, and she's a real character. Um, we call it, the story's called Charlotte's Home at Strawberry Creek Lodge, and, and that whole complex is built for low-income people. And it allows them to maintain their dignity. They, they still they have a council where they make their decisions together, and, you know, they have support services there for them, but they still have their independence. And I think that type of housing is terrific. And I think it's like, it's like if you're used to having a private office and all of a sudden you have to go to a cubicle. That kind of a change can be very difficult for some people. But even if you're going from a private home and your circumstances change and you're finding yourself living with other people, whether it's in an affordable housing project like the Satellite Affordable Housing Associates are offering in uh, Berkeley, whether you're doing a shared housing um, uh, situation, there are more and more options for for people of low income. And, I, and you're right, it's absolutely becoming more and more critical, especially as as people, a lot of people have lost money um, taking with through medical care. So I think it, it's very important. Well, and, and the the whole idea of housing and the fit for housing, both financially and and fitting the personality, you're making me think of this grand adventure we had with my 97 year old aunt Catherine, where she decided she wanted to leave the assisted living she was in because she didn't like the food. Who had all her faculties? <laughs> and she was she yeah. was very independent, <laughs> um, and she wanted to move someplace else. And my sister and I went on this quest to find the perfect place, and all of her friends were recommending these places called beehives, which were small homes that were, you know, housed maybe five or six people in a very home-like environment, like a, like a big house with six bedrooms and then the central kitchen and the living room. And I went in and I asked, well, you know, what kind of trips do the people who live here take? And I got a blank stare. And I said, well, what kind of programs? Who comes, you know, and does programming here? And I got a blank stare. And they were like, well, we don't really go anywhere, and we don't really have any programs. And I thought, wow, my aunt would hate this. And yet all of these people are pushing and recommending you need to go to a beehive because you'll never need any other care except that. And and that's another really good point because, as you guys probably know far well, far better than a lot of us, um, how important – you want to avoid isolation um, and how critical it is and how it impacts your health. Well, it's the killer. Um, yeah, isolation yeah. and mental stimulation as well. I, I think that, right. you know, for some people that just that that curiosity, you know, that's what keeps us younger in spirit, keep spark, certainly. Keep the spark going. Yeah. There, there was another story um, I did on co-housing, and we visited several different places, a uh, couple in California and one in North Carolina. And one of the oldest co-housing uh, developments is in Davis, California, outside of Sacramento. And I interviewed them, and they are all in their 90s now, most of them. And I think they started this when they were in their mid-70s to early 80s. And I was asking them, well, what, what would you change? What would, what would you do differently? And they said, you know, being around old people all the time is a little too much. I mean, they had a lovely 
they had each other's company, but they missed intermingling with other generations. So it's just it's just another consideration. Some people will be just fine not having other generations around, but um, it is something to consider. Interesting. My mother, who passed away a few years ago, when she was in her late 80s, moved into an assisted living facility, quasi-independent, quasi-assistant. And I remember talking to her and said, hey, Mom, how is it? She said, Ronnie, they are all old. <laughs> That's true. Not seeing That's herself true. as old, mind you. Well, so, you know, what I've heard recently, I have some friends who have gotten into the Airbnb market that are, you know, friends who are retired. And I think the fastest growing, you know, offering of Airbnb places is among retirees who are making some money off of rooms in their house. And I'm wondering, is is that, do you have, you know, is that in one of your films? You know, there are, there is a couple that is doing that, and I'm just trying to find... Um, we just posted there, they are retired from Seattle. Um, and it's not just, they are actually traveling around the world, staying in different Airbnbs um, as a way to support their travel, and they rent their house out now. Um, I have a neighbor uh, who is doing Airbnb, which is bringing in extra income since both she and her husband have retired. So it is definitely a, a story worth looking into uh, and getting more information about. I think if people are interested in that, they can go to the more info section on our um, our web page and they can find some other articles and, and features on that. Now some communities, San Antonio being one, are looking at regulating that off-the-books kind of industry because hotel and motel operators see it as unfair competition. That's true. I, I think the taxi industry feels that way about Uber and Lyft. They do. Um, yeah. All, of, all of the home sharing, ride sharing, this whole shared economy, you know, it, it, I'm wondering how it is impacting across the generations. Um, recently, the National Council on the Aging has a grant offering about uh, ride sharing in senior centers to see if older persons are amenable to, you know, instead of using the big van, uh, using a ride-sharing, a Lyft, or an Uber to get to and from senior centers. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zerniel, and we're talking with Christy Denton-Cohn on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline. Her project, Staying Put or Moving On, she's a well-known documentary filmmaker. Uh, and your piece on rock climbing just aired forever <laughs> on NBC Universal Sports. It did, and it also was on PBS. And in fact, what was I finished making it in two thousand two or two thousand three? It was considered one of the best films on rock climbing ever made. And I just lost that mantle to uh, Free Solo, <laughs> which is fine. Those people just so deserve it. And there was another one, um, Valley Uprising, that was also great. So. It, it teaches you about a whole other world. That's why I love doing films. <laughs> well, how do you pick your topics? Because there's a big difference between staying put and, or moving on and rock climbing. Well, the rock climbing one, uh, I, I love the mountains. I've spent a lot of time in them. I was named after the Stem Christie, which was a ski turn way back when. And my father was a climber, but he died when I was six. And so I heard about this little story where the climbers were going to sue Camp 4, which is in Yosemite, because the Park Service wanted to develop housing there. And so I thought, okay, I'll just do this little documentary on saving Camp 4. And what came out and what helped the lawsuit, actually, too, was that it had such a huge history. So 
a lot of times you start your project one way and it ends up evolving into a whole other a whole other entity practically and that that part is the part of discovery is is fun um and you know i also kind of got to know my dad because <laughs> he he was part of that world so um I, I i love doing that film please tell me he didn't die falling off a mountain no unfortunately i mean he didn't thank goodness in that way but he had cancer oh yeah sorry um, but young, young, young cancer. Yes. But there again, I mean, that's, I always think about this because he had um, Hodgkin's lymphoma, or non-Hodgkin's, I forget which one. And today, I mean, this happened in 1958. Today, they're curing that disease. So pro- things that we think are insurmountable at one point that don't seem to have any resolution, if you keep at it, they do. And, and I think that's what keeps me going, even with stay or move, is that, okay, this you, you need to get this information out there. It will help people. So keep going. So I'm curious. There was something in the notes um, about people that have bad luck. And I'm wondering, as you talk to people about their life circumstances, you know, how much there there are there's a group of people that think that you should have made good decisions your whole life and that, you know, should be the you, you kind of get what you deserve. And then there's other people who think it's just luck. You really don't. You know, the, the idea of control is an illusion. You know, I don't think there are any easy answers. Um, I think it is probably a combination of both of those things and more. Um, I, there's just, I guess I get frustrated with, with people that want to make a simple statement and have that be the answer to a problem. Right. Because problems are so complex that it, it gets the hubris in that kind of bothers me, frankly. Then you know that I, I'm gonna. I'll play that particular clip. A friend of mine. We've uh, over our lives have had these running arguments because he's very black and white. And I'll say this is gray. It's a. Gr- it's gray. <laughs> There's no black and white. Everything's black and white. No, it, this is gray. Everything is gray. <laughs> when you take it's a look at it, green or purple, we don't know. <laughs> sure. So before we run out of time, Christy, uh, give me a sense of what you learned doing this project. What did you learn about yourself? And has it changed the way you're looking at the future? You know, I think it goes back to you plan as much as you can, but it is unpredictable. Um, I'm trying to remember I have the five G's of aging, which is grace, generosity, gumption, goofiness, and right now I'm forgetting the fifth one. But um, all of those things become a part of it, and I think that, if you, especially grace, as going forward, you have to give up the car keys. Well, we're in a time where we have the village movement. We have robotic cars. We have um, dr- drivers that can take us places. We, there's so many different transportation options now that even if you want to stay in your own home, you're not going to be stuck there. And so I think that and robots scare the heck out of me. My my social media guy always wants to do more stories about robots. And, oh, my God, they're so impersonal. But there are a lot of solutions coming out of that, too. So I, I just keep an open mind, try not to be fearful, and go forward with grace. Well, tell your techie guy that Carol Zerniel is really hot over robots. So well, he's just, not alone. I'm fascinated. Well, I I'm, interview you, Carol, because well, I'm fascinated <laughs> that's the story by that. The um, my mother had Alzheimer's, and they had the Japanese robot pets that purr, and they're you know you can pet them, and they act like they're enjoying being pet, but you can't kill them because they're a robot. <laughs> which I thought was very handy. Um, And I was just kind of that whole, and it's very common in Japan to have a robot pet, whereas we think it's a little creepy. 
So, so it's yes. fascinating to me. Yeah, and and there's a lot of robotics for even people want to stay in their home. Their little robot will come and make sure they took their meds or whatever the heck else it is that they need. But uh, did your mother get comforted by it? Well, she I never got her one, but I you know I was interested. You were motivated. Yeah, I was motivated. I, I was debating yeah. it. But they're a little pricey. Yeah, they're they're pretty expensive, but I was definitely um, debating it. So. Huh. Yeah, but the robotics you're talking about, I think the issue going forward with some of the home technology is Big Brother is watching you. That whole acceptability yeah. of the technology and how comfortable you are in sharing your every movement, you know, including every movement in whatever room uh, that you have. Well, give us your website again and, and contact information for folks who want to follow up after this interview. Well, the, the website is stayormove.org, and we do have a contact at the bottom. But you can also reach me at kdc at stayormove.org. Well, KDC, Christy Denton-Cohen, thank you. Yes. Enjoyed yeah. talking with you. This has been great. You take care. Well, thank you so much. I'm honored you called. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you. That was cool. Very cool. And this will be cool, too. Up next, Dr. Jamie Heisman joins us for Take 10 on Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Well, we pick up with Take 10 at the end of every one of our Caregiver SOS On Air programs. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, and we were pleased to be joined on the Caregiver SOS On Air hotline by Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist, expert on caregiving and on addictions as well. And Dr. Jamie, uh, we got a great topic for you that Carol has picked out. Well, you know, I wanted to bring uh, two two of our friends together, so to speak. So Barry Jacobs and Jamie have both been uh, speakers for our Caregiver Summit. And I saw something that I thought was very interesting where it was talking about, we know what, what you know helicopter parents are, but this is about helicopter children. So Jamie, have you heard the term helicopter parents? I really have, and uh, I must admit, being a helicopter father, uh, which is really the a whole group of us, the generation of, our, of overprotective dads and moms who are totally hovering over their children, I, I was recently surprised, and it was in the past year, that the roles have reversed, and now we do have this word called helicopter children. And it, it does represent, like, an absolutely, you know, diametrically sort of same thing as what I am as a helicopter father, an overprotective caregiver who tries to control everything in their loved one's lives. Though so, they have the best intentions, it's still 
control, control, control. Control. So the the story that Barry was telling was, you know, his mother needed to walk with her walker. She wasn't doing it. And he was telling her, you need to walk with your walker. And she's like, if I want to fall, I'll fall. That's <laughs> my life. You know, and, Barry's and, a, he's brilliant. He's, he's dead on correct. I mean, if they fall, I mean... Basically, this is a partnership. And well, that's you, what he's saying. This that's is he... not somebody controlling somebody else, right? So, so we live in an in an uh, ecosystem where, as you know, if our parent falls, you know, they may have made the choice not to use their walker, but it's not them that's at the hospital every day um, or finding the new place to live with the broken hip, or you know, it's it falls on if the fall falls on somebody else as well. So, so what? You talked about control. Um, is there a definitive line where this is how much control is appropriate or pressure to exert on our parents when we want them to be safe? How do we know where the boundary is? Well, that's a great question. You've heard me often say control is a clinical issue, and especially with caregivers. And the deal is, I mean, and we can put it in our minds about obsessive compulsive disorder. So if our listening audience can, can imagine somebody who, who is a hand washer and, and compulsively does that, we are really most, most controlling in our lives when we're most out of control in our minds. So a helicopter child, uh, a caregiver, if you will, really is out of control in their minds. And so they're trying to assert the illusion, the mirage. We, we've done a great disservice, I think, across caregiving sometimes because because we sometimes talk about that you have to what parent your parents or you know become your parents and they become your children and we kind of tell everybody that when that's not really the case it's really that you know it's important to keep our parents well-being at the heart of every issue but allow them to be partners otherwise we're going to rob them of their self-esteem and their ability uh to, to to become who they need to become without this learned helplessness. Well, is there a is there a time when somebody really is um, at risk? Uh, let's say at home, they're, uh, it's a parent. They're living alone. They're not eating. Um, they're lonely. Their health is kind of really spinning, visibly spinning, out of control and down. Is it appropriate then for us to say, "I'm sorry, it's time for an intervention"? Yeah. Oh, yes. I'm glad you brought that up. That is an intervention, um, and that's all a different thing than really being that helicopter um, child because doing an intervention, I think, is a loving process, but you bring in all members of the family, hopefully a third party, social worker, geriatric care manager, and you really take it from all different aspects and, and, and not confront somebody so they lock into a control struggle, but facilitate the ability to get them to the next place. So that is an intervention. That is not to be confused with somebody who's out of control trying to control their parents. Because at the end of the day, as you've often heard me say, one-on-one interventions don't work. In fact, usually the caregiver uh, gets killed and buried in the backyard when, when they do that. <laughs> well, so you, you mentioned um, the conversations and dignity. And I'm thinking, are, are, we talk, are we saying that... If we can sit down, maybe the first step, if you know, to keep from being a helicopter or an overly controlling caregiver, would be to to have a conversation with the person, but to involve them in decision making, to lay out together maybe what the choices are, um, and see what they think about these choices. Now, before you Absolutely. answer that, hang on a second. Yeah, I just want to want to let folks know if you've just joined us, 
You're listening to Take 10 on caregiversos.org, Caregiver SOS on air. That's the website, caregiversos.org. On 9.30 a.m., The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Dr. Jamie Heisman is with us. And, Jamie, to you. So thank you all for actually giving this format as the answer, because I think you're right. And, Carol, to your point, I would consult a professional, first thing. I mean, if you're really starting to see that you're over-controlling, you're out of control, you became this helicopter child, and you're worried about risky behavior, you know, a parent can see, a parent can try for whatever particular reason, ask a primary care physician to intervene. Ask the geriatric care manager to intervene. Bring others in. You know, make sure that you're not demanding it because and, and, and being this punitive parent to your own parent. Instead, consult. I mean, use language that says, yeah, I'm concerned about the way you're living. Um, not that you have to do A, you have to do B, you have to do C. Um, and again, you have to allow them to meet you halfway if they cognitively can so that they can develop self-esteem even in the worst chronic uh, time of their life. They still need to establish their own competence, and you need to allow them to do that. Well, and I think you mentioned, you know, if they're cognitively intact. And I think that that, that's one of the the harder things for families to acknowledge sometimes uh, is that someone is not really cognitively intact. Absolutely, and that's why it's so important and so critical to bring in a professional, many professionals. Obviously, we're also loathe to bring our loved ones when we see cognitive issues simply because of the shame and stigma. I think, you know, a couple of weeks ago we had a powerful show about that, shame and stigma and neurological issues. I think we got to get somebody immediately to assess and to evaluate and to understand what are the cognitive issues and what is our loved one capable of doing? And that becomes the blueprint to, and the right approach, I believe, to, to caring for our aging parent. It allows us to start where they're at instead of where we think they should be at. Now, does the uh, uh, a child who is very much a helicopter child, very controlling, do they know they're doing that? Oh, that's a great question. I, I believe defense mechanisms are there for a reason, and unfortunately, many of them are very much unconscious kind of responses, like denial. And so to your point, Ron, I don't think they really do. And I think if they do, I think they unfortunately create some rationale that probably is not based entirely in, in reality. And that's why it's so critical for them to be strategic, not to do this on their own, but to bring in loved ones to bring in key people of choice, keep bring in pastors, bring in social workers, but, you know, be the quarterback, because I'm not sure they really know. I think their intentions are all good, but well, I think uh, they're being driven by defense mechanisms. I, they'll say to you, I, I'm assuming, I'm really doing it for mom or I'm doing it for dad. Right. Absolutely. And that's the, the, the rationale they'll do it. But actually what they're doing to mom and dad is they're creating more stress, they're creating more anxiety, they're creating, as I mentioned, and this is the shows we've done before, a learned helplessness, because if they rob their loved one and become over-controlling, over-protecting, then why would their loved one have to learn skills or develop self-esteem, at least in doing these skills, in their own behalf? Well, and I, you know, I, the story I would share is the not my 97-year-old aunt who made the decision to move herself out of assisted living and in back into independent living, which was, from my mm. point of view as a professional, the absolute backwards wrong thing to do. Um, and she did not live as long as she might have in 
assisted living, but she was much happier among a more active, uh, you know, set of people. Interesting. And that's why Frank, that's why Frank Sinatra's uh, song is done by everybody and covered by everybody, right? Because she did it her way. And that's, that's the quality. And we really need to be very mindful. This is another show in itself of really looking at quality instead of just quantity. We need to look at that. Got to stop you right there. Dr. Jamie Heisman, thank you so much. Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. You've been listening to Take 10, part of Caregiver SOS On Air. And we'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer.